Gentlemen, thank you so much for rocking with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report, episode 64. And man, as always, we've got a really fun, really exciting show. I'm personally very much excited about our guest this week, Kevin Broom from Bullets Forever. He's a great analytical mind, somebody that I enjoy following on Twitter. We're going to talk about advanced stats in the NBA. We're going to talk about the Wizards offseason and my personal something near and dear to my heart whether Chris Stops Porzingis is going to be worth the massive contract that he is sure to get in a year or so. All that stuff. Plus, as I've aged, I've come to realize the, the action genre when it comes to movies is a dying breed. It used to be my favorite type of movie, especially in the summer months. But as I've gotten older, action movies are starting to fall by the wayside. So I'm going to reminisce in a brand new segment about my favorite movie genre of yesteryear. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this first quarter. Years ago, over a decade really, my big bro Ivan Carter, shout out to Ivan Carter, he hit me up and he was like, yo, Armand, he knew how much of an NBA fan I was. And obviously Ivan used to cover the Wizards and the NBA for that matter. And he told me, he was like, Armand, Someone like you, you really have to go out to Vegas Summer League because you would enjoy it. And he specifically mentioned Vegas Summer League because back then um, there were two summer leagues, Orlando and Las Vegas. And he told me, he was like, man, you'd love it because obviously it's Las Vegas, number one. And number two, there's basketball being played all day. There's one game, and once that game is over, another game comes. And you get to see these young players uh, many of whom are already trying to establish themselves in the league. And also, you it's your first glimpse of college basketball players transitioning to the pro level. And he told me this, and I'll never forget it. And luckily, fortunately for me, I was able, you know, a few years after that, to actually go out there with a few buddies of mine. And it, it was great. It was a great experience. And if you have the means to do so, and you are an NBA fan, I, I highly recommend it. Because, again... You get to watch basketball all day. And then when you're done or you may be bored of a certain game, you get to gamble. You know what I'm saying? It's Las Vegas. Do as you want. Then you take a shower, hit the, you know, do whatever you got to do, get something to eat, and then come back, and there's still basketball being played. It's, it's, it's just a dope experience if you love professional basketball. But much like, you know, every summer we all get excited and a part of me still gets excited for summer league because, again, it's your first glimpse of some of these players. Um, you get to see if the hype is true. You get to, you know, I watch professional basketball far more than I watch college. So it's a real opportunity to kind of really look at these guys and see for yourself, you know, how they fit, what they look like, you know, what skills do they at this point in their career, what skills do they possess? But as we do that, we also, and this is so annoying, we go too far in ranking or, or evaluating what Summer League actually means. I mean, Trey Young. And I don't know how good Trey Young is going to be. I've, I've got my own questions about him personally. But nothing has moved me based on his poor start at Vegas Summer League. There were so many people running to jump on the aha, Trey Young, 
he's not that good. He's he shot, you know, two for eleven from three in summer league. It's like, so what? <laughs> it's summer league. You know who also struggled their first summer league? And I hate the comparison, and I'm, I can't believe I'm about to do this. But Steph Curry struggled when he was in his summer league debut, right? And I'm not comparing Steph to Trey Young. I hate that comparison. I don't like doing that at all. So that's for any young player who is struggling during summer league. You just can't read much into it. And you know what? I've also had to protect myself because as much as people have ripped Trey Young, they have gushed over Kevin Knox, a Nick player that we drafted with a ninth overall pick. And I'm like, I have to guard myself, right? Because after his first two games, same with Mitchell Robinson, everybody, like, oh my God, the Knicks, they, the Knicks, they, they gotta, they gotta steal in the draft. Oh, Kevin Knox, he may be rookie of the year, and I hope he's good. I hope he's great. <laughs> I hope he's an amazing NBA player. But you can't tell anything from summer league. Summer league is fun. If you like basketball in the summer, you know. And the big three is in one because, hey, I'm going to have to break down the big three in, in a few weeks because I'm in. I'm all in on the big three now. It took me a year, but I'm ready. But back to my original topic. If you like basketball in the summer months and you like the Las Vegas experience, then, yeah, you know, it's it's fun. It's like a blockbuster. You go in, you check it out, you just enjoy the show. But when we start trying to to put too much stock into a summer league performance. Most of the players playing in summer league are not NBA players. There's a reason why guys who are um, hangers on guys or who are trying to find a contract who, but who have been in the league for four or five years, they always play well in summer league. Like BJ Mullins was killing. He's been in the league for damn near uh, uh, like eight years or so. Right? He's experienced the rigors of the NBA. He knows he has an NBA body. He's he's been an NBA player. Most of these guys won't sniff the NBA. Maybe they get a call up. Maybe they get a, a contract on the, the G League. Maybe. But some of these guys won't. So if you're a lottery pick, no matter how well you play, you also have to you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's like, yo. He's not playing against real NBA talent. Likewise, if someone struggles, they, 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 even though they're not playing NBA talent, these are men. These aren't 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds. These are men playing basketball. So Trey Young can struggle, and it wouldn't move me. There's, there's an old saying, right? If a guy plays well in summer league, it doesn't matter. If he plays poorly, you need to be concerned. And I suppose that still holds, but like Steph kind of just ruined that for everybody because he struggled mightily when he was in summer league. But I guess that's that's probably still to some extent the way I view summer league. You know, I don't want anybody to throw up on themselves consistently for however many weeks these guys are playing. Like you can have a bad summer league, but at least show something, right? But even if you struggle completely, right, as long as you're not embarrassing yourself, I can't take too much into it. Likewise, no matter how well you play, no matter how much you want to get excited, no matter how much people that you respect or the announcers or articles or guys that tweet or whomever, 
How, many, how much praise is heaped on a player? You have to remember, he's playing against guys who aren't going to be playing come October, come November. Right? So, yeah, you could be happy. You could be like, okay, maybe we have something. But that maybe is key. Because Lord have mercy. Between Kevin Knox and uh, Troy Brown Jr. And I'm trying to think of whom else. Deontay, DeAndre Ayton, like all these guys, Wendell Carter, all these guys, I've been hearing nothing like just ringing endorsements. Okay, man, you know, Ayton, he looks like he's going to be, and that's fine. If you want to project, it's like, man, he has the potential, right? He has the tools. But what Ayton does or what Knox does or what Brown or any of these guys do versus guys who won't get a contract because the majority of these players won't get a contract. What does that tell you? Honestly, what does it tell you? I hate to be, you know, the guy that douse, you know, to kind of smother the flames. Because, again, Summer League is fun. It's an exciting experience. And if you have the means, I highly recommend you going. But just pump the brakes a bit. You feel me? Let's chill out just a little bit. We're not going to chill out here on the quarterly report. Y'all know I'm just warming up, baby, because we're going to, Keep this thing moving. We got so many more topics to discuss. But before we move on to the second quarter, I need to remind you all, get involved with the show. You can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Or tweet at me in the show. Let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, or topics that you want to hear me discuss. Maybe you too want to hear me talk about the big three or the summer league or players who you are high on based on what you've seen thus far. You can tweet me and the show at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. It's on Twitter. Let us know. Get involved. Interact with the show because without you guys, none of this is possible. And the more we interact with you, the better the shows become. All right? So we're going to keep things moving with our second topic this week, which is also the debut of a brand new segment. Let's go. Second quarter. I told you all about a month ago. Once the NBA season was over, that, you know, outside of just being like core essentials of being a good person, you know, like family, fatherhood, just being decent. There's not a singular topic for me to focus on to kind of keep my mind in order. So that's why we're doing all these brand new segments. Last week, I had a 30 minute first quarter. I promise you that's never going to happen again. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But this week we have another new segment, something that just kind of dawned on me and hit on hit me. Because as I get older, and especially now that I have, you know, I have a child, you know, I start to look at things and, and reminisce fondly over, you know, my childhood and, 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 and things that happened years ago. And for me, action movies were my favorite genre, the favorite types of movies, right? And in the summer months, this is, this is like when action movies come out the woodworks or, or when they used to. And... Because of that, I'm going to debut. We're going to christen this new segment called They Reminisce Over Blank. And this week, I'm going to reminisce over action movies. And of course, because the name of this segment is They Reminisce Over, we got to bring in the production value. We got to bring in Beat Rock and CL Smooth. When they reminisce over you, my dog. Yeah. I don't care if you don't like rap, hip hop, whatever the case may be. You lame as hell if you don't like that song. Putting it out there. 
All right. All right, guys. So this week I'm going to reminisce over action movies. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a type of movie that I grew up on. My favorite movie is Bad Boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all know I love Terminator. Terminator, I'm, there's a segment basically devoted to Terminator on this show. And this past week, it got me thinking because I saw Sicario 2, and I loved it. Loved it. I loved the first Sicario, saw the second one, enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's better than the first one, but, man, it's close. I really enjoyed Sicario 2. But I got all these negative – I saw all these negative reviews. I was kind of worried before I went in because I was like, man, it's not nec- it's not anywhere close to the reviews that the first one got. But in any event, I thoroughly enjoyed Sicario 2. But outside of Sicario 2, you know, you're in the previews, and usually you go see an action movie. They're action previews. And, you know, Mission Impossible 37 or whatever the case may be is coming out in a few weeks. And The Rock is jumping from building to building and skyscraper. So outside of The Rock, who him, like the, the Fast and Furious franchise is pretty much the only thing carrying the, the genre of action movies at this moment, right? And it got me thinking, I'm like, man, what happened? But because the, 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 the end of action movies are coming, and I, instead of just going, instead of spending this entire segment whining about why action movies are are needed and why I miss them. I'm going to start thinking of I'm ranking the biggest action movie stars of all time because, you know, I'm not even going to rank them because my number one is a sleeper. Like this this whole week I was thinking about action movies like, man, you know, I enjoy Sicario 2, Mission Impossible 45 seems really dope, you know. They got they got they got Stringer Idris is going to be in the the Jason Statham rock movie. You feel me? It's like, so I'm in the action overload. And when you think of action movies, we always think of what Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone. Like those are the guys when you think of the top of action movies. But I think I, I really spent some time and thought about it. I'm like, nah, there's a man who's actually a greater action movie star than those guys. Wesley Snipes, you think about Wesley Snipes back in the day. You know what I'm saying? But even better than Wesley. I mean, I'm talking about coming up. My favorite movies as a kid. Terminator, Terminator 2. Uh, uh, Rambo, Action Jackson, Passion of 15, like The Art of War. All these movies, right? But then it dawned on me because quiet is kept. Bruce Willis... He's got a great, you know, the Die Hard, uh, up until like the third Die Hard. Up until like the Die Hard with the Vengeance. Maybe the one after that was good too. But Die Hard with the Vengeance definitely was like, okay, y'all kept on going and it was over. Still, like, you know, Arnold, he started running for office. I mean, he should have just stopped at Terminator 2. Last action hero even, you know, like, which, whatever. But he kept on making movies. He completely ruined the Terminator franchise. And then obviously Stallone. I mean, Rocky is an action kind of movie, but the best Rockies, right, are like love stories or dramas. So you start thinking like, okay, well, you know, those are like the, the three guys who everyone would think about when it comes to action movies. But no, the greatest action movie star of all time is none other than Keanu Reeves. And that sounds crazy 
at first. But think about it. I remember Point Break. Like, I remember as a kid, I used to get Bill and Ted's cereal. So many of you of my age, when you think of Keanu Reeves, Bill and Ted still comes to mind. And I get that because there's still a part of me. No, no matter what Keanu Reeves does, there's always going to be the Bill and Ted guy somewhere, somehow in my head. But think about what he has done since. Point Break, cult classic, right? Not necessarily a great movie, but in terms of action and in terms of just, man, that was that that kind of that has a staple that like that personifies the culture like that genre of movie the skydiving president's mass bank robbing it was all over the place you know what i'm saying but that was keanu's first kind of action movie you know his put his foot in the water right and then it was speed killed the game with speed i don't speed was on hbo the other day and I sat down. It was the first time I saw Speed in years, man. And I remembered how much I loved that movie. Right? So think about it. His first two attempts in the action movie genre are a cult classic and a great in Speed. Right? Like, boom. Two for two. Then the man kills the game with the Matrix. Now, we can debate all day long about how the Matrix trilogy ended. And I get it. But you can't you can't say nothing about the first Matrix. They had genuine in the Matrix. They had rappers doing Matrix stuff. It was over. You feel me? Everywhere you went in the late '90s, early 2000s, it was Matrix, Matrix, Matrix. Change the game. That's three for three. And if we're just going to count the trilogy as one, you can break it down by three if you want. But you you start to see like damn, Keanu Reeves like this guy every at every turn he's doing all types of different action movies and it's flying over the radar and then now in a dying genre right, Stallone can't do it anymore, Schwarzenegger can't do it anymore, Wesley I don't know what the hell Wesley's doing, Bruce Willis I don't know what the hell Bruce Willis is doing. It's really The Rock, and out of nowhere John Wick came out, boom. Two for two. Killed the game. When you start looking, like, go back and look, compare catalogs. I don't think I'm jumping out the window too much when I say Keanu Reeves is the greatest action movie star of all time. Maybe that says more about the genre of film, but I'll put Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick. We don't even have to talk about Point Break if you don't want to, but just those three movies. Making the third John Wick film. So you got three Matrixes, three John Wicks, and Speed. I put that up against anybody. Because keep it funky. Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, awesome. After that, just ruined the franchise. They just ruined the franchise. Predator is in that same way of Point Break. Very cult action movie. It's so bad, it's good. But what else? Commando? I guess. Man, it was cool, but that's it. Stallone, Rambo, the first two Rambos, I suppose, fine, but then it kept on going. Cobra, get out of here. Judge Dredd, get out of here. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> With Demolition Man, get out of here. Wesley, God bless Wesley, man. Glad his tax situation is over. Art of War, 
Murder at 1600, you know, dope movies. Passage of 57, always bet on black. I'm right there with you, Wes. But let's let's also in, in the first two blades. He's got he's got some movies. But then he's got Blade Trinity, which counts as like negative three. It was just that bad. Worse than the last Matrix movie by a wide margin. You understand? It's about time we start putting some respect on Keanu Reeves' name, man. Because when you see him, you don't think action movie star. But I'll be damned if he does it at, at when did Point Break come out? The late 80s? Maybe 90s in the, in, in, in the latest? If you're talking about movies spanning decades now, 80s, Point Break, 90s, Speed, Matrix, early 2000s, and now he's got John Wicks. I mean, I don't, I don't even really think it's that much of a debate. Maybe you do, as the first segment of They Reminisce Over Blank comes to an end. If you disagree with me, and I know anytime people start ranking and doing debates like this, everybody wants to chime in. So I'm giving you the opportunity. You think I'm wrong? You think I'm ODing when I say Keanu Reeves is the greatest action movie star? Hit me up. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Or tweet at me in the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, show. Tweet at me. Let me know if I'm crazy for saying that Keanu Reeves is the greatest action movie star of all time. And if you do think so, you can't just leave it there. Let me know who is. If I'm wrong, you better tell me who's right. You feel me? All right, guys, you heard the horn, so of course that means it's halftime. Halftime is back this week, and it's always my favorite halftime segment because it's it's an opportunity for me, got for me, to showcase the next generation of leads to the world. My daughter, my princess, is back, and y'all know when she's on the show, that means Bill Walton is not too far away. That's right. It's another edition of Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Take a listen. It's time now for Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. The elbow to the throat and knee to the groin. Very effective strategy. Do it down, big man. That's not getting it out. That's making a terrible miscalculation about your life direction. That was the worst play in the history of Western civilization. I can't keep my eyes off that student session, which basically looks like the Grateful Dead parking lot over there. What was in that drink? I owe all of my success to two people, John Wooden and Jerry Garcia. And that was... Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Seriously, the only thing that is better than Bill Walton is Bill Walton's crazy-ass quotes read by the cutest little girl in the world, my beautiful daughter. I can't wait. I enjoy just listening to this segment, but I can't wait for like, you know, eight to ten years from now when she listens to herself. Because that, like, this is just going to be the gift that keeps on giving from a father's perspective. Man, I can't tell y'all how much I enjoy that. But enough of the sappy stuff. We've made our in-game adjustments. 
You know, I got my Brad Stevens, Greg Popovich on. I'm ready to end the show on a strong note. So we're going to start the second half with a guest that I'm extremely excited for. We're all going to get smarter with my guest this week, Kevin Broom. He is a contributor to Bullets Forever. He's also the creator of the PPA statistic. We will get into that and so much more a little bit later. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. I'm super excited about this guest, Kevin Broom, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, thanks for having me. Like I said earlier, I'm extremely excited about this uh, interview. I've been a fan of yours for a while. And, you know, I've been what I like to call an NBA nerd now for a little over a decade. I remember exactly when I started really diving deeply into uh, advanced statistics and analytics, however you want to phrase it. I'm a Knicks fan, so it was kind of beaten into me because how growing up, how I thought was the the only way really to evaluate talented players. Each year they kept on bringing guys that I thought were going to be good, and it just kind of broke everything that I thought was true. So anytime I talk to someone who really is deep into statistics like you are, I always want to know when was it that I like to say you saw the light? When was your kind of coming home moment where you really dove deep into uh, advanced statistics and data. Yeah, so for me, it goes way, I mean, back probably when I was like a teenager. And um, what actually probably got me started in it was I found a book on a soccer field. I was uh, playing a tournament, and I found a book. It was about um, fantasy baseball, rotisserie baseball. It was by, uh, I think, Dan O'Krent or something like that. Just the whole idea of like playing with stats. I actually started a uh, like a fantasy stat league with uh, my brother and some friends of mine. This is back when I was like in high school, and um, you know that was a lot of fun. And trying to get advantage there, I started you know doing my own kind of statistical analysis, really just looking at like who which players would help me win the league. Right. And then as the more I got into the stats, and then I started watching. You know, I was watching tons of basketball already, of course, but there was so much of what the announcers and the analysts were saying that I knew were wrong just because of how I had been looking at the stats. And then the more I sort of delved into the the, the questions that, I, that were coming up, it's like, wait a minute, he just said X. Can that be right? And then I would go and look and find, no, it wasn't. <laughs> you know what? It's funny, man, because I don't know about you, but Every time I want to engage on a NBA topic, it feels as if I have to do a self-assessment first because I know nine times out of ten, whether I'm at the barbershop, the gym, just on a court, wherever the case may be, I know that I'm going to argue with everybody because no one, most people won't view things the way I strongly view them. And it's funny, I'm not a, I'm not a baseball fan at all, but I am a fan of the culture um, surrounding baseball and i know that they've had to to fight for that they've had their own civil war for quite a while but they've gotten to a place where the entire it feels like the entire community around baseball believes in like their foundation to some degree is on statistics outside of just raw numbers and when it comes to the nba i feel like there's so many people with a, a, a large platform and influence who go out of their way to fight the data-driven, the analytical community, that is, it's exhausting for me. And I, I can only imagine for you, because you have your own statistics, 
your own data uh, of how hard it is to because I, I naturally want to engage and I want to go back and forth, not in a crazy, rude way, but just I like dialogue. But it's hard, man, because I it's like I'm fighting. I'm fighting a, an endless amount of uh, of points per game naysayers. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, there are all kinds of things and that are like that. I mean, the barbershops I go to are a little different. I know what you're talking about, though. Um, <laughs> But um, no, it's I, I know what you're saying, and I find myself all the time on Twitter where people will say things, and I'm just like, you know, I don't have I don't have time to die on this hill, so let <laughs> me just wait for another one. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin, and check out his website. KevinBroom.com. He is the creator of PPA, his own statistic, and that's where we're going to move to next. Um, like I said, I've been like fully immersed into the the advanced statistics now for a little over a decade. And uh, wages of wins. Uh, you mentioned the book uh, "Stumbling on Wins" kind of did it for me. The book kind of opened my eyes, um, and that's the all-in-one stat, if you will, of choice for me. Um, but I remember a few years ago you had something up on your website, and you were talking about uh, kind of your thoughts on PPA. And, you know, some of the criticisms, not just for you, but just overall, even someone like myself who subscribes to Wages of Wins, it's very harsh. You know what I mean? Like there's really no, it's extremely harsh on players and grading players and evaluating players. So I'm curious, uh, what, what is it, what made you do PPA? What made you think and, and go for your own statistic? And kind of what, what aspects of the game, what formula I would say, do you uh, use to kind of fine-tune your own statistic? Yeah, so, okay, there's a few things. One is um, I I had been using PER for a while and not liking it. Um, And specifically because PER, um, it rewards players for taking more shots as long as it's basically more than 28%. Right. So if you shoot with an efficiency above 28%, which is literally every player in the league, you can you can increase your PER simply by taking more shots. That makes no sense to me, right? right. And right. analytically, also, it makes no sense. And then, right. of course, I read uh, David Barry's book and uh, Wages of Wins, and I was intrigued by it, but I was struck. I felt this wasn't empirical, but I felt that uh, Wages of Wins or that uh, Wins Produced overvalued rebounding just by right. looking at the formula and based on you know playing with numbers and all that stuff i sort of i thought that maybe he was overvaluing rebounding i knew know that that was a flaw in previous versions right. of of what became of his research that became wins produced you know like he had in their earlier version you know dennis rodman is like the most productive player in the right. history and it's like okay yeah that's not a really gonna work yeah. for me right. um, <laughs> And so th- there was that, and then uh, there, and then I also wondered about the cutoff point on efficiency. And so I, I will say, I mean, I haven't revealed the exact formula of PPA. We can, I, I understand that statistical yeah. things that I've I've done that have been swiped by other analysts, or swiped borrowed heavily without right, compensation, right. and right. The, you know stuff where I saw when I did a little bit of work for a couple of NBA teams where I saw things that I had come up with in their report, and I right. knew that they had gotten it because, for example, 
I'd, they'd email to ask me questions about it, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it would have been cool to at least then have them tell me, hey, I'm using this in my work with an NBA team. Thanks. But to discover it that way. So anyway, um, what I did is a, an approach very similar to uh, Barry's where I went through and I did a bunch of regression analysis and I tried a bunch of different things. It, it was pretty time-consuming. And I was looking at, you know, the same thing he was doing, which is to try to take those individual stats and lay them against, um, you know, what causes teams to win and lose. And right. in the end, like I said, some of my – a lot of the weights were quite similar. I ended up with some different weights on rebounding and putting a different value on efficiency where – um, PPA rewards um, players for, I guess, the ability to create shots, basically to get their own shots, right. so long as they're making them above a certain percentage. And, okay. you know, my, my cutoff point is much higher than, you know, where you gain, gain advantage or you can help your team with a cutoff point that's a lot higher than PER but a little bit lower than, than uh, wins produced. Yeah, and so but this, this, one of the things I wanted to say, though, is that, with the statistical analysis, you know, there's a lot of um, talking like the NBA about getting guys who fit, you know, and that's kind of important in some ways, but we can get into that a little bit more if you want. But really with the NBA, with basketball, you, you the all-in-one metric is important because you have to take everything that a player does. It's not right. like football where you can put in a third-down pass rusher who is terrible against the run. You know, yeah. just in that situation or in baseball where you can have a pinch runner or a relief pitcher who only goes against left-handers, you know? right. left-handed right. batter, you know, that sort of thing. In basketball, you have to take the whole guy. And so that's why um, the one, the one all-in-one metric does matter in basketball more than it does in the other sports. Absolutely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. He is the creator of the PPA statistic. Check out that stuff and more on his website, kevinbroom.com. And he is a contributor to Bullets Forever. And speaking of the Bullets slash Wizards, they've had a very eventful offseason. Um, I read your latest piece on Bullets Forever about the Dwight Howard signing, and I, I really enjoyed it. And you touched on this. Basically, Dwight Howard for the Wizards is a gamble worth taking. Um, they're cap situation is a mess and they are really eyeing being complacent and being stagnant in a conference that yes, LeBron has left, but it doesn't seem to be as open as many of the, uh, the wizard shills that are running wild in this area would like, like you to believe. Um, but however, with all the baggage that Dwight Howard brings to the table, I am completely dumbfounded by the people who are more excited about Austin Rivers than Dwight Howard. Uh, I feel like Austin Rivers, if he plays more than 10 minutes a game, which he probably will, he's going to end up costing you wins instead of actually giving you them. Um, and then obviously the Jeff Green signing and Troy Brown being drafted. So in a nutshell, how would you assess the offseason by the Wizards thus far? Um you know, let's start, like, the, the easiest one is Jeff Green. You know, Green right. has been, he peaked around average, and he's, that was several years ago. He, he hasn't been that good in a while. Right. And, but, you know, last season was a bit of a bounce-back year. You know, in my metrics, he rated a little bit below average. But right. that was a pretty solid year. And if he comes in to the Wizards and does something like that, 
that'll be useful. It'll be better than just about anything they got off uh, the bench. He actually rated a little bit better than uh, Mike Scott did last year right. um, in my stuff. So, that you know, he, that's, he's got potential, and he's a good guy. He's not going to just yeah. off the locker room or anything like yeah. that. You know, he's, he's, he's a good guy. And right. so there's that. <laughs> the Austin Rivers thing, I, I mean, I, if you follow me on Twitter, I probably wrote about this for Bullets Forever. I don't remember right now. But um, I, I'm not a big fan of Austin Rivers. You know, when he was coming in, into the draft, I had right. him with an absolute, like, do not draft rating. And right. he owes his career. He was awful when he got to the NBA. And he owes the money that he's made and the fact that he's still in the league to the fact that his dad traded for him and gave him playing time that no coach would have given him other than his dad. And then right. his dad was the team president and gave him a contract that was preposterous. I mean, players, players like Austin Rivers, you know, I've run, I have my, I call it my statistical doppelganger machine. <laughs> and so when his contract was coming up, when he was a free, you know, uh, going to be a restricted free agent, I ran him through my, you know, doppelganger and players like him who started their careers like him were typically out of the league when their rookie contracts were finished. Regardless wow. of where they were drafted, I mean, yeah, they were done. And instead, yeah. his dad gave him a rich contract. Right. <laughs> you know, and so now I'll give him this much. I'll give him credit that Austin Rivers is that while he was given the opportunities by his dad, you know, it was definitely nepotism. He worked right. crazy hard, and yeah. he's not a terrible. He's among the worst starters, but he's, you know, bottom like forty percent of the league in guards. Right. It's not terrible. I mean, he's like, he's at least a competent NBA player at this point. Not a good right. one, but he's at least, you know, right. it's not like he's a waste of space. Exactly. So, will he help the Wizards? I don't think that much. I think that, <laughs> you know, you know, because especially if he's taking minutes from like Sadoransky, you know, yeah, Sadoransky is a much better player. Yeah, that's the fear. Um for some reason <laughs> that I still don't know, the coaching staff doesn't seem to be quite high on Sadoransky, uh, especially as the backup point guard. So, yeah, if Rivers comes in and takes away minutes from Sadoransky, that's that's the biggest fear that I have coming into this season. Uh, but a lot of people are fearful of Dwight Howard in his role with the team and in the locker room. Um, for those of the for those of the listeners who did not read the article on Bullets Forever again, check it out. I definitely recommend it. Uh, give us your quick thoughts on Dwight Howard and what he brings, positive and negative, to this team. Yeah, so this, like I wrote, I, this is not a move that I would have made. Um, and I I talked to, in the preparation for that article, I talked to, um, you know, several, you know, former, you know, assistant coaches, head coaches, um, former uh, players, and uh, one current player, and um, uh, some former executives, you know, that kind of thing. Some, so I guess it was about seven, eight people in all that I, right. that I talked with. None of them, of course, willing to use their, have their names used because right. they were speaking. Some of them would, you know, if what they said could be, you know, considered as tampering, that kind of stuff. So right. anyway, um, so the gist of it was most of them liked the deal for the Wizards. They felt like it was, you know, taking a chance, but they felt like Dwight is a talent, you know, has real talent and real ability. Um, right. the, the challenge with Dwight is it's like you and I and virtually everybody can sort of look at him from the outside and say, this is how he should play. 
And basically the way he should play is like, you know, DeAndre Jordan or Clint Capella, where, you know, set screens, cut to the basket, dunk the ball, rebound and play defense. And other than that, just be, don't don't worry about it. In other words, right. don't do all the post-ups. But, you know, 36% of his possessions last year were post-ups, and that's pretty, pretty consistent. That's was probably actually I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think that was on the low side. Wow. Uh, his coaches run post-ups for him. And it's hard to know whether he's demanding that or whether he's, you know, the coaches think that that's the way to do it. Some of the coaches that I talked with, they said, you know, the thinking is that if you can establish Howard as a threat in the low post, that you can then, you know, command double teams and he can pass out and then you get open shots from three. And But they also acknowledge, you know, I, I put an anecdote in there from one of the former coaches who's actually been out of the league for a few years and said, you know, what we did to Dwight was we would just wait. We wouldn't double him on the catch. We would wait until he did first dribble. Then you double hard, and he jumps and tries to make a pass, and right out of time, he just throws the ball away. And if you go back and look at tape of, of Dwight this year, there's a lot of teams that still do that. You know, he, he first dribbles, they attack, he throws it away. And uh, that's a big problem. If turnovers are a problem, you know, the shots that he gets out of post-up when they don't double are a problem. And uh, it's just not a good thing. So, And then the other problem, issue with Dwight is that is the way that he – it's not that he's a bad guy. It's not like he's malevolent or anything. But it's that he retreats from conflict. So, you know, to contrast it, say, with uh, Gortat, Gortat was confrontational. <laughs> Right. And so if you went to Gortat and yelled at him for, you know, I, we need, why aren't you doing this, he might argue with you, and he'll tell you that you're wrong and explain to you what, you know, what it is that you need to do, and you can go back at him. You might call each other names and cuss at each other and that kind of stuff. But when it's all finished, you can at least get on the same page with him because right. you know that while you might disagree and you might dislike each other, you can at least agree that this is how we're going to play it. Right. But the, the thing with Dwight is that Dwight will just agree with you and then keep playing the way he's been playing. <laughs> <laughs> and so you don't know whether you're actually ever on the same page with him or not because he he always will agree with you. And then, yeah. and then you're kind of stuck with, well, why isn't he doing things differently? I thought we had agreed on this. and But when yeah. you confront him about it, he just agrees with you again. And you, you're still not sure. Hey, True Detective told me time is a flat circle, so... Hey, who knows what happens this year for the Wizards, but they are sure to be exciting. We could definitely agree on that. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. He is the creator of his own statistic, PPA. Make sure you check that out and follow up on all the other stuff that's going on with him on his own website, KevinBroom.com. He's also a contributor for Bullets Forever. And uh, Kevin, I am a huge Nick fan, as the listeners know. Um, and seeing some of these salaries, particularly, uh, Devin Booker's new contract, it's a, it's a bit scary, um, because Booker came out in the same draft class as Chris Stops, and, you know, Chris Stops is the centerpiece of our team right now. Uh, but again, he hasn't been nearly as productive as I would like through his first two, three years or whatever the case may be. Um, I had a back and forth with a friend of mine, which I'll talk about a little bit later in the show, but he was telling me how Devin Booker is a franchise player. And again, full disclosure, I'm a Wages of Win guy, 
inches of wind grades very hard. Their curve is very hard. Um, but to me, he just doesn't do it. He's not nearly, uh, he's not anywhere close to a franchise player in my perspective and definitely not on a $31 million contract level of a player. But I'm assuming that's what Chris Stapps is going to get as well. So I'm wondering from the PPA perspective, is there anything promising about either of these two players? Is there something that you see from them that like, okay, you know what? You may have something here or are my, uh, my biggest nightmares, are, are, are they going to be confirmed? Okay. So reasons for hope would be that they're both really young. And, right. you know, with players that young, Sometimes, is it, you know, like Bradley Beal, for example, for oh. you know, four seasons, we're basically rock solid right at league average. Not not very good, you know, just right. sort of average. And then he signed his contract and he took a jump up. Fell right. back a bit last year, but, uh, you know, definitely took a significant step forward. Right. So, and then you see a guy like Victor Oladipo, who, you know, was in the league for, what, four or five years, and then before he finally, you know, really took off when he got to Indiana. So right. there's that hope. That said, I wouldn't want to be the guy betting $150 million on either of these guys. Right, um, right. You know, like I mentioned before, my doppelganger machine. Um, yes. With Porzingis, the player who shows up the most, you know, I ran it for each of his seasons. Um, the guy who shows up the most, uh, two guys, are Tobias Harris and Charlie Villanueva. Now, I will say that his top comp for last season before he hurt his knee is um, Car- was Carmelo Anthony. Um, okay. But that's one of those double-edged things because, you know, right. I, I think I tweeted the other day that Carmelo Anthony would be on my Rushmore of overrated players. Overrated, exactly. Yes, yes. As someone who has lived the Carmelo Anthony experience, I couldn't agree more. So, but that said, Carmelo was a, a good to very good player most right. of his career. So th- that's not a bad thing. I mean, you're not going to waste your money on if right. Porzingis is the second coming of Carmelo Anthony. Well, there you have it. Life as a Knicks fan. Best case scenario, we get Carmelo Anthony all over again. <laughs> but luckily for many of you all listening, you all are Wizards fans, and there are plenty of reasons to be excited, both on and off the court. So fingers crossed the Wizards can get back to um, – playing uh, competitive basketball toward the top of the conference. Once again, guys, my guest this week, Kevin Broom. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Broom underscore Kevin. Really dope follow, really smart follow. Make sure you head on over to his website, KevinBroom.com. He is the creator of PPA, a very smart advanced statistic, all in one stat that you guys need to check out. And he's a contributor for Bullets Forever. Um, So check his work out on that website as well. Kevin Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, I uh, very much enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. So we just spent a segment discussing advanced statistics and how useful they are as tools in terms of evaluating. But I, I'd be lying if I told you I still know and feel that there's still going to be resistance toward embracing data and advanced statistics in any degree, not necessarily fully embracing them, but just to any degree. And that's something that sits with me because I was once someone who fought against accepting data and advanced stats. And I have friends and family to this day who will argue with me no matter what I say. So I'm going to try a more diplomatic approach and not necessarily changing your mind, but uh, offering a little bit more of an understanding as to why, as a tool, 
advanced stats are so useful in evaluating NBA players. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. So we just had Kevin Broom on to kind of discuss in large detail about advanced statistics and analytics. But I I, I want to kind of try a different avenue, right? Because I know many of the people I discussed, I know a lot of you all who listen to the show, while you are aware of stats and advanced stats and analytics or whatever the case may be, you don't necessarily subscribe to them. And that's fine. I, I don't want it to be like I'm pushing something because as I'll touch on and as Kevin talked about, right, there's the, the umbrella of quote unquote analytics. It's very large. So PER is completely different than PPA, which is completely different than wins produced, which is completely different than win shares, which is completely different from box score plus minus, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And I feel like we get in in the basketball culture because there are there there are a number of people with a, with a huge um, presence and influence who keep on kind of pushing away from data driven analysis. And again, it it goes on to something that I touched on months ago when I said, if you love something, usually. You want to consume as much of it as possible, right? I have friends who love music. We all love to listen to music, but I have friends who love music, meaning they want to study it. They want to learn how to play multiple instruments. They they listen to uh, patterns and rhythms and melodies on a way that I, just as a spectator, just like to listen to words or like to dance to beats, right? I have friends who can tell you the specific differences and details of ska to reggae to dance hall, etc. where they all sound, I mean, not similar, but they all have similarities to many, myself included, untrained ears, right? I have a friend who loves literature. You can talk to her about science fiction and She'll she'll like it because she just likes to consume the the written word, right? Doesn't matter if it's a dramatic novel or an a, a, like I said, a science fiction novel, whatever the case, she just wants to to consume the word. She just wants to consume great novels. If you love basketball, like I do, I truly love basketball specifically the nba and i remember vividly because i too was once the person who went by points per game i'm not that's not me trying to uh to sound diplomatic that's just the just the truth i remember the knicks having eddie curry and zach randolph and steve francis and stefan marbury and jamal crawford and all these guys on the team, and we couldn't win. And I'm like, all these guys have shown the ability to score. All their PPG is 16 points or, or, or more, many of whom scored 20 points per game. I don't know if I said Stefan, but Stefan Marbury was the, the catalyst of that team. And not only did our wins not increase, the best player on that team was David Lee. <laughs> David Lee, who didn't score any point. He wasn't a scorer. He was our best player, despite the fact that he wasn't scoring a lot of points. And I want to try to 
get home this this idea that points per game because that's usually and historically that's been the way we evaluate players. How many points did he score? If you score more points without anything else, you score more points, that guy's really good. And yeah, scoring the basketball is the most important aspect of the game of, of, of winning basketball games, obviously. But the way in the manner in which you score, and usually and we can talk about possessions and efficiency and usage and all these other things. But I know this because of firsthand experience. Once you start using these words, sometimes the eyes start to roll. You know, you say efficiency and people are like, oh, here you go, right? But let me try this analogy, right? Let me try this example, a blind item, if you will, right? This isn't a trick question, but I just want to kind of hammer home the importance of possessions and efficiency without using the same talking points, if you will, okay? So you have team A and team B, right? Two teams playing each other. I don't worry about, I'm not going to give you any information outside of these four nuggets, okay? Don't worry about field goal percentage, free throw attempts, three-point shooting percentage, none of that. Just going to give you this blind item and you tell me the likelihood of who wins the game okay team a commits 17 turnovers okay team a commits 17 turnovers while only forcing nine so team a commits 17 turnovers the only force nine this is an eight turnover differential right team a also only has seven let's just say seven offensive rebounds okay so team a 17 turnovers seven offensive rebounds team b only turns the ball over nine times right but they also have 24 offensive rebounds so team b has 24 offensive rebounds and they force 17 turnovers while only turning the ball over themselves nine times. So I'm going to ask you, and this isn't a trick question, okay? Team A turns the ball over 17 times. Team A also only has seven offensive rebounds. Team B has 20-some-odd offensive rebounds, and they only turn the ball over nine times. Without knowing field goal percentage, free throw attempts, none of that, who would you say has the best chance of winning? Again, this isn't a trick question. Of course Team B does because they have extra possessions, right? Again, without knowing anything else, you're just asking who has positioned themselves the best to win that game. We all would say Team B. Again, this is not a trick question. We say Team B because they have more possessions. They have more opportunities to score the basketball by a wide margin, right? 22 offensive rebounds to seven, okay? Uh, 17 forced turnovers to nine. That's, that's a significant number of added possessions that Team B has over Team A. We all would agree that Team B has the better opportunity, the best chance of winning because of the possessions. 
If we believe that having more possessions is a vital part of winning basketball, which we all would agree, it is not that large of a leap. In fact, it's not a leap at all, in my opinion. It's more of a skip or a hop that the team who maximizes and has the most productive possessions, they have the best chance of winning. So when I say productive possessions, if we, if we all believe the foundation is set, that the team who can have the most possessions puts themselves in the, 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 the inside track to winning. If I then have more possessions with efficient and effective players shooting the ball or having the ball in their hands, right? Then I too also would then have a greater chance of winning. If I have more possessions with a guy who's shooting 50% or greater than you do, then of course I'm going to win. If, you're, if your possessions result in a guy shooting 42% from the field, your possessions in that way, whereas my possessions in with a larger number of, of, of times where the guy who shoots 50% or greater, he has the ball, of course my possessions are then more likely to convert into points. So if you believe that having more possessions, which we all do, gives you a greater chance of winning, it's not a leap to say that whomever has the majority of their possessions ending with a guy who converts at an efficient manner shooting the ball, then yes, I have a greater chance of winning as well. And that's essentially what many of these stats, these advanced statistics, if you will, tell us who is more likely and at what rate are these players likely to convert. And converting doesn't always mean scoring a field goal because obviously you can get to the free throw line. And when you get to the free throw line a lot, that means your entire team is in the penalty, which is beneficial, right? If I'm not turning the ball over and I'm not missing shots, the entire team is doing well. I could, I could get assists. I could get my teammates involved. All of these things result in possessions and important and, and successful possessions. So if you have a guy who scores 22 points, but he takes 18 shots, right? Those are 18 possessions to get you 22 points. Whereas there could be a guy who scores you 17 points, but he only shoots the ball, you know, nine times. You see what I'm saying? Maximizing possessions, not just the number of total points scored because the thing about the NBA, which is weird when it comes to us as fans, because I am a fan. Many times people act as if you can be in, in the NBA and not be good at playing basketball. Everybody in the NBA, 99% of the players are um, the best players in the world. There may be a few guys who are just naturally tall and strong and who don't love basketball, but because they were always bigger than everyone, they get, they, they get into the league, right? And, People think that they can change them and it's a project and et cetera, et cetera. But the overwhelming number of NBA players are great, are the best at playing basketball. There's a reason why guys like Anthony Randolph could never succeed in the NBA, but they go overseas into, you know, the most competitive leagues and not being in the NBA and they're dominant. Stephon Marbury is a legend. You understand? So 
that skews a lot of people's thoughts because they think, oh, well, this guy scored 22 points. Devin Booker scores a lot of points on a team that is not concerned with winning. And what I will tell you is when you are trying to win games, you're not just going to put up possessions just shooting because you're actually trying to win. So if you're a 42% shooter, you're not going to get 20-some-odd attempts. This was what happened with Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson. They were well, not necessarily Rodney Hood because he was on a winning team, but he wasn't getting minutes because he kept on trying to shoot. So Utah just stopped playing him because he wasn't converting. Jordan Clarkson, people's perception of Jordan Clarkson did a complete 180-degree turn. He was the same player. It's just that when he went to Cleveland, he wasn't going to get 10 to 12 att shot attempts because he doesn't convert them at a, at a rate that's winning basketball games. So he would get his, his, his spot minutes when, you know, uh, George Hill or Corver or whomever needed a rest. And we, we, you'd see what he had. And far more than not, he would put up shots, wouldn't make them, and just kept on shooting. Now, that worked for the Lakers when they're winning 30 games. But when you're trying to win a championship, you just can't. You, that, that's not winning basketball. And that's what was awesome about talking to Kevin because we talked about Devin Booker. We talked about Chris Stops. These guys score a lot of points. But it's like looting. Someone has to be the leading scorer on a bad team. Someone does. And I know the excuses are already there. Like, hey, man, he's a bad, this is a bad team. You can't win. You can't expect him to change things around on a bad team. No, you can't. It's not fair. One player doesn't change anything. But there are a lot of teams who are bad. And there are a lot of players who still produce on bad teams to the point that the Denver Nuggets were one game away from making the playoffs. Before they got Nikola Jokic, they weren't a good team. They drafted Emmanuel Moutier like in a top 10 pick just a three years ago, three, four years ago. Same draft as Kristaps. Same draft as Devin Booker. But the problem is, or the, not the problem, the issue was they got Nikola Jokic. And Jokic, who doesn't score a lot of points, he produces at such a high level because he does so much else well. And it was funny to me because so many people killed the Jokic signing. Just ripped it. And then two, three days later, we're celebrating Devin Booker. Make no mistake, Nikola Jokic is a far superior player than Devin Booker. That's not to say that Devin Booker can't get there because he does a lot of things well. He has skills that if honed correctly, right, would increase his productivity significantly. But right now, and, and now I, I'm extremely concerned because he was rewarded with this huge paycheck. So what's the incentive for him to change his game? You just reward. It's like when you're a house training a dog. And I'm not trying to compare NBA players, human beings to dogs. I'm not doing that. But just ride with this analogy for a second. When you're house training some, a dog, right? If they, go to the, if they go to the bathroom in the house, you don't give them a treat. Because if you do, you do it enough or you give them a big enough treat, you'll never get them to understand that you don't want that to happen. Obviously, again, I'm not comparing a, a human, Devin Booker, to a dog. We have far more intellect than, than a dog, right? But the, the core principle, the core argument is the same. 
you rewarded this player with $31 million a year. So he feels validated that his style of play is the right way. He can change. You get a right coach, you get the right environment, get the right staff, and yes, giving him the right supporting cast, he can absolutely change that. But it, it decreases the probability of that happening because he was rewarded. It's human nature, human nature. And it's going to happen with my Knicks. It's going to happen with Chris Tops. Can you overcome it? Of course you can. But your margin for error then gets shrunk. It, it shrinks. I had a buddy, a young boy that I was, I'm cool with, right? Former co-worker. I'm not going to name any names. This weekend, and we're going to having a back and forth. And he's telling me, because I, I, was, I was just in awe that two teams, not one, but two teams, wanted to give Zach Levine $18 million a year. And he was telling me, yeah, Chicago, they need a go-to score. And that's why they signed Zach Levine. And I'm thinking to myself, what have you seen in Zach Levine's career that makes you think that he's a go-to scorer? His second year, I want to say it was his second, maybe it was his third year, but his second year, he, he showed real true strides. And he has crazy athleticism, obviously. And he was able to finish at the rim. Some of his shots were still a little bit reckless, but it was okay. And you saw growth. And then in the third year, he tore his ACL. And then this past season, he played 24 games. So you have no idea how he will respond, what type of player he will be post-ACL. So you just don't know. You can hope, but the Chicago Bulls hoped Derrick Rose was going to be the same player post-ACL. And we saw what happened. Players who are amazing finishers at the rim, you lose that explosiveness. And that doesn't mean that Levine is going to lose his explosiveness, but it's, you know, you lose something, you got cut. Maybe he's Russell Westbrook. Maybe. But Russell Westbrook is a one of one. All right. And it's also important to note that Russell Westbrook rebounds like a center. So he does things other than just score. What is it that Zach Levine does? And what is it that you've seen that makes you think that he's a go-to scorer? And I was asking him this question, knowing that the only thing he would go back to is how many points he scored. And again, points per game only tells you if you take a lot of shots or not. That's it. No matter how great of a player you are, if you score 30 points, you got to take a, a significant amount of shots. It has to happen. But the difference is there are certain players who can score 30 points without scoring, without shooting 20 or 21 times. There's certain players who can't do that if they score 25 points. Some guys need to score 20 points to get 25. That's just not maximizing possessions. And as we talked about in the analogy at first, in the first part of this quarter, right, we all would agree the more possessions that you and your team have, the better chance that you win, right? The more turnovers you force, the more offensive rebounds that you grab and the combined with not turning the ball over, you increase your chances of winning. We all would agree that. So if that is the foundation of our argument on winning basketball games, then maximizing the number of productive possessions is just the evolution of thought. It just takes you one step closer to winning. And if your team, your favorite team, is signing a bunch of guys 
who are not effective and are not efficient and waste far too many possessions. Don't start looking around wondering what, why. It's easy to argue Otto Porter is overrated. Just like it's easy to say that DeMarcus Cousins is one of the 10 best players in basketball. But, and you don't have to, look, I promise you, if you don't want to like Wages of Wins, that's cool. I've got plenty of friends who love analytics, who hate Wins to Produce before 48. You don't want to like PER, you don't want to like win shares, that's fine. You don't have to. But just remember this when you are breaking down basketball. When you are looking at games and questioning, man, they've got this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and all these guys have high points per game, but it's not resulting in wins. Look at the empty possessions. You want to know why the Pelicans played better when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt? You can make excuses. Oh, they just gelled. And all that, that may factor in. But they also got rid of empty possessions. Possessions. Don't get psyched by the word analytics. Don't get psyched out by advanced stats or don't get swayed by people who have a large platform and they could persuade you by saying that analytics and advanced stats, that's easily dismissed. Nah, don't do that. Don't take people's word for it. We live in the information age. If you love something, if you love the NBA, like your friends who love music, your friends who love history, your friends who love movies, whatever the case, the friends who love cooking, no matter what style of food. If you truly love the NBA, do the work yourself. Look up the information yourself because it's readily available. All right, guys, obviously, that's something that means a lot to me. I appreciate you checking in and rocking with me on that segment. I want to thank again my guest this week, Kevin Broom, man, making us all Sparta, yours truly included. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the show. As always, if you want to get involved, if you if you think I'm crazy with my, my nerd stance in, in regards to analytics, don't be scared. Hit me up. Challenge me. Challenge my thought. Not in a, in a, in a jerk way, but if you genuinely don't agree with me, it's all good. I got thick skin. Hit me up on email. Email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me and the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Let me know your thoughts. If you agree, disagree, or somewhere in between. And also make sure you subscribe, download, and rate and review the podcast. Our numbers keep growing each week. I really want to thank you guys, but let's continue to spread the word. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podknife, Google Play, everywhere you listen to your other favorite podcast. Make sure you leave five-star reviews and leave a little rating. Let me, let the world, let your friends know what you think about the podcast and why you love the quarterly report. All right, guys, I hope you have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening in to episode 64 of the quarterly report. <laughs>